Welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development, where Andrew and I talk to experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 platform. For more information on Office 365 development, visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. All right, well, welcome to episode 94 of the Office 365 Developer Podcast. If you listen to the intro, we have some big changes this week. We have a new co-host, so welcome, Andrew Coates. Hey, thanks, Rich. Uh, I have to say I've got very large shoes to fill. I'm trying to figure out whether it's Jeremy's shoes I'm filling or whether it's your shoes I'm filling and you're filling Jeremy's. So this is kind of a, this is my dilemma at the moment. Well, we, we did a big poll and everyone was like, well, we hate the the way that Richard's accent, the the, the Texan, I call it. I, I tell people I speak Texan, not English. But um, so we had to get like some smart sounding accents in here, just like Jeremy's and, and you fit so the bill. Telling, so. What you're telling me is I'm the token foreigner. Is that right? I, you know, I, <laughs> I wasn't going to go there, but since you said it, I will we'll go with that. Yeah. All right. So, Andrew, well, mate, I'm, uh, I'm, for, I'm really honoured. It's, it's 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 a great pleasure. I'm I'm so looking forward to this uh, this journey. Yeah, I know it's a uh, it's. We've talked about this for a while back at Build. I know when uh, that was about the time Jeremy was making his transition. You showed a lot of interest in it, and you know, I I, I looked around. It was a little bit scary. Um, we'll talk about your where you, about you and things like that. But you are based in Australia, and it scared me a little bit uh, having a a co-host that was so far away and how we'd work that out logistically. But um, I'm up for the challenge. You're up for the challenge. And I think it's going to, I think it's going to be great. Um, so with that, like t- tell the, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, Andrew. Sure, man. So I'm, um, I'm a technical evangelist based in Sydney in Australia. Uh, my role is to talk to software developers about building cool software um, on mainly on our platform, but using our services, whatever it happens to be. And I've been doing that gig for, about 12 and a half years now. I started in January 2004. Um, and so I've seen a, a fair bit of transition in that time. There's gone from uh, let's talk about smart clients and thick clients and rich clients through to everything being all about the web and then starting to become all about services. And then you know, the, the, the journey through Office has been really interesting as that part of that as well. So that's been my professional gig for, for quite some time. I guess before that, I was uh, I was a software developer, an independent software developer. I, um, I, I wrote software for small and medium businesses. Um, and uh, and uh, actually, my, my background is a civil engineer. I'm, uh, that's my training is uh, in civil engineering. So it's, a, it's been an interesting transition to go from, uh, from, from uh, putting buildings up to building software. And it's been a lot of fun. That fascinates, fascinates me always. Uh, you know, I know that civil engineering definitely is, is a technical type of background but maybe not so much like technical and in, in the sense of building software it's building you know other things and designing things but i always find it interesting like some of like the the most incredible technologists that i know and work with have like such unique different backgrounds like i know one guy and one of a good friend of mine that's really technical he has a history history degree um it's wow. it's just amazing i think if you if you're just if you have that in your your DNA, uh, it comes out, right? I mean, it's kind of natural to... Uh, you, know, you know, I think that's right. And, and I actually talk to a lot of people about the similarities between building buildings and building software. And one of the things that I think is really closely aligned is you have a problem, usually a unique problem you have to solve with a bunch of technical constraints and a heap of tools that you can choose from. 
and you need to do an optimization around those con- that, that, that set of parameters. And whether you're putting a bridge together or building a road or constructing a, an apartment block in a really constrained site or building some amazing piece of software, that's really what it's all about. It's about creative problem solving with technical constraints and with technical tools. And it's, it's one of my favorite things to do. That's awesome. Well, one of the an, another really interesting kind of tidbit of information for the listeners. You mentioned being kind of in the evangelism role for Microsoft for about twelve years. Is you had a really big part in um, our previous hosts, like kind of where he is today. So Jeremy um, kind of grew up as a technologist in Australia and really wasn't doing a whole lot of things in the Microsoft space until meeting you and kind of getting involved with you in Australia. Is that right? Yeah, look, I think Jeremy's being a little bit modest there. He's, he's brought his own success on his own head pretty much entirely. Uh, I happened to be there for a bit of it, and I was really pleased to, to, to help him on his way for, for a little piece of that. But, uh, but certainly, uh, I wouldn't like to claim any sort of responsibility for what Jeremy's become. Okay, cool. <laughs> He, he, and, and you can take it any way you like. <laughs> well, he's very gracious. I know that he's he uh, says that all the time um, when we talk about you that he, that you had a big part in um, you know him getting at least involved in certain technologies. I think you know uh, maybe it was SharePoint at the time or, or something like that. But I know that um, he always speaks incredibly fondly of you. So it's cool to have another Aussie. Um, I get to. I, I thought about all kinds of different ways that I could do clever intros because you know we have a, a new re-recorded intro. Uh, we've even the last few weeks, as when I've done this solo, we've still had Jeremy's you know typical intro into the the podcast, and I was like, how do I do it this week? I was like, should I do it like you know where where Richard and my uh, Andrew, my mate from down under, talk to the experts? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I don't know how I should do this, but uh, we, we just kept it normal. But uh, it's cool to have uh, you know another Aussie, and uh, hopefully this will be a, a unique opportunity for our listeners. Uh, we'll have you know good coverage from around the globe. Excellent. Look, I, I think it, I think it's going to be great fun. Well, I'll bring it on. Cool, man. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about the the weekly updates. Uh, we've we've had a, a little bit of a, a break in the show as we were kind of preparing to get a, a co-host, so we have a a decent queue of weekly updates that are that are out there. Before we get into some of the the work of the community, um, there's been some decent announcements. Uh, by Microsoft in the the office space over the last few weeks. So one of the big ones this week, probably the biggest one that I've seen is that the Microsoft Planner is in GA. So it's ready for showtime. And, uh, you know, this is something that uh, has been in in the preview. So a lot of people have had this and been able to kind of test drive it in preview, but it's now generally available to all Office 365 users. Um, you know, Planner is one of those things, it's, um, you know, I hate to say it's like a direct competitor to something like Trello, but it kind of is to some extent. Uh, probably not quite as mature as Trello um, and some of the features that are there. But, you know, it's a, if you look at things like Microsoft Project, Planner is a much more simplified version of that. You know, I, when I go into Project, I'm not like a project manager mindset and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's way more here than I know what to kind of handle and and Planner seems to be a little bit more focused down. Um, Andrew, have you had a chance to play with Planner much? 
So I haven't had play with it much. I, I, just the thing I'm really excited about is the the idea that this is just yet another service that's going to be available to us as developers to call on. So the the, the concept that um, that this additional capability is now something that's become, going to become a commodity to us as developers is so exciting. And it's not just the the planner piece in um, in Office three six five itself, but it's the it's the bits I'm going to be able to build into my into my apps that that take advantage of it. And that's uh, that, that's a huge thing, I think. Yeah, one of the things I really like about this too is that um, it fits into like this holistic vision of like group collaboration for us as well. You know, to me as a developer working in the things like the Microsoft Graph, um, I think it's it's really cool how I can go to a group and then just kind of traverse off of that almost into anything and, and planner and tasks are going to be kind of a, an additional layer of that. So I agree, right. like it's another kind of developer surface and, um, you know, for, you know, really task driven groups and people, um, I think this is going to be a, a pretty big game changer that, you know, um, depending on your license, this, I mean, this comes with uh, Office 365 E1 through E5 um, so it's really most most all enterprise users of Office 365 are going to have this as just another free tool. I say free; right. that's probably the, the wrong term to use, but as just another included, tool in your included toolbox. in the price, right? Yeah, that's right. There yeah, you go. That's, cool. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So the the the, um, the interesting thing for me is that it's not rolled out everywhere yet. I checked on my dev tenant this morning, and it's uh, it's not there yet. But it is going to. It's coming soon. There in the process of rolling it out across the the tenants over what they say is over the next couple of weeks. Yep. Yep. So Very look for cool. that. Uh, definitely check it out. And I'd love to hear about what the community is doing around, you know, development around tasks. Uh, it, you know, it is something we've, um, I believe, I had to look back at our show history. I think that we had someone from the task team talking a little bit about kind of what's there. But, um, you know, it's something that, you know, as we introduce new capabilities these days, we always try to um align APIs with that as well so that, uh, you know, developers and ISVs can kind of uh, start their integrations and, and customizations from day one. So uh, planners there and definitely check it out. And uh, I think it'll be, a, again, an interesting addition to Office 365. Right, right. So I don't know whether we're going to get a chance to talk about planner at the Ignite conference. I have I just noticed that the uh, that the Ignite session catalog's out now, and I was just having a quick look through and couldn't quickly see whether the planner was there. Not to say it's not there, I just haven't found it yet. Yeah, so that it's actually a, was our next announcement. A good good call there is that uh, we do have, for those that are going to Ignite, uh, the Ignite conference is coming up, and we've uh, released the, the full session catalog. My guess is there's probably a handful of embargoed sessions. So when we say embargoed, a lot of times there's like, uh, you know, big announcements that we'll make and, and we won't want to release the details of those sessions ahead of time. But at least the the sessions that we're able to release the details on, those are available out there. So you can go check all of those out. There's like tons and tons and tons of sessions. It looks like there's like 440 sessions to choose from thus far. Uh, there's 120 of those that are on Office. And of those 120, 10% of those are actually Office development. So there's 12 sessions right now that I was able to determine are 
office dev related. So I, you, you can imagine there's going to be, you know, a lot of interest around things like SharePoint framework. So there's going to be a lot of sessions around that. Certainly things around Microsoft Graph APIs. There's going to be a lot of great stuff for the office developers. And then, you know, I know that probably a lot of our listeners are just general office implementers. I know, especially like the SharePoint uh, space, a lot of times the IT devs also do a lot of IT pro stuff around maybe architecting farms and things like that. So uh, lots, no, I, mean, I, lots think, of- I think particularly, particularly in, in that space and particularly in businesses that aren't huge businesses, most people have got, uh, have got jobs that, that span all of that stuff, which is, which is pretty neat. I know I had to back when I was a consultant. And right. I, to me, that's probably been one of the most transformational things with Office 365. <laughs> I don't have to mess with infrastructure. I just I get to just do the development stuff now. But uh, no, I know not everyone has that that uh, luxury. Don't don't get me started on how cool things like adding a custom domain are nowadays with Office 365. That is that is the that that's the bomb. I, I remember back in the day having to try and configure ex, all the Exchange records, uh, the, the, all, all the records in DNS for Exchange and for SharePoint and for and now you just just say I want to add a custom domain. And it, it asks you to log in to GoDaddy or wherever your, your domain registrar is, and it sets up all the DNS stuff for you, and you're done. You're all good. It's, yeah, it's I, like 30 seconds. I'm baffled. You know, it's funny you say that. I'm so baffled that like people that don't go out and get like trial tenants don't do that. Um, and you might say, well, why do, why would I throw away a domain after – like domains are 99 like cents, like 99 cents. Um, like you can always find a GoDaddy like coupon code or promo code. I have never paid more than like ninety nine, maybe a dollar ninety nine for a domain. And like, if you think about how many times you have to enter in that username, that uh, you know, whatever you come up with, dononmicrosoft.com, man, it's so much easier to go ahead and just get a, a cheap domain, even if it's like, you know, not even that meaningful. Like, let it throw it away. Who cares at the end? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's. It's cheap and it takes seconds. It's, it is quite amazing. I love the integration that we've done there. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, back on that planner, uh, the planner sessions at Ignite. I just did find one, but might have just might have just appeared. I don't know. But called building apps with the Microsoft Planner API. So not only is it planner, it's also developer. That's pretty exciting. Very nice. Yeah. Are you uh, have any plans? I know that's a, a big trip for you, but any plans to go to Ignite this year? I don't think I'll get there this time. I've been a couple of times to TechEd in the US, particularly because we, we run TechEd and Ignite down in Australia. And a few times I've been the content owner in, in, in Australia. And so as part of that, I've gone off to, to scout for, uh, for for speakers and so on at, at uh, TechEd and Ignite. I don't have any plans this time around, though. But I, I know a couple of my partners are going now to do some, some very cool stuff. It's Ignite. You know, the, it's this – for those that aren't familiar with it, it's kind of like our – uh, new like let's combine a, a whole bunch of different conferences into one so it's taking things like like tech ed it's taking the sharepoint conference it's taking things like uh you know we even did link conf or well link skype type conferences communication con we had all these different conferences that were these one-offs and and as microsoft was trying to align with the, kind of this one microsoft vision uh they basically said hey let's let's bring all this together into one gigantic conference and and so we've only had one of those thus far. It was in Chicago a year ago, and this is going to be our second, and it's going to be in Atlanta. And um, you know, it's it's pretty uh, 
it's pretty amazing. I know that there are bigger conferences. Um, I've heard of, I, I've never been to, well, actually I've been to Dreamforce and Dreamforce is like a hundred and I want to say 160,000 attendees, but um, it's so spread out all across San Francisco. You don't really necessarily comprehend that size at Ignite. It felt bigger because it's all like one big conference center. I mean, it's just the, the scale of it is pretty um, extraordinary. So um, cool, great conference, a still a time. In, uh, yeah. So I was going to say, I went, went to a ticket in Orlando, and I think we were 15,000 people there. That, and, and all of those people were in the keynote. That is a big room. That's, that's an amazing an amazing facility. And, and, uh, and the expo hall floor was, I don't know, I think it was, I, I'm, I'm still thinking hectares, but I think it was, I worked it out, it was nine hectares, which is what about, I can't do the sums, but, but a, number of, a large number of acres just of expo down on the, on the floor. Very, very cool. All the all the people yeah, the, got around the, on segways. All, all the all, all the staff, all the, all the expo hall staff, all the, all the conference center staff were getting around on segways or my, or bicycles because it was too big to walk around. One of the, the the most shocking things when I go to these big conferences is to look at the meal hall, like because it is like you. It's hard sometimes to even see the end of the meal hall. Like it's like as far as you can see, it's tables of people eating, and like I always think, like like how do you prepare that much food at once? Like it's it's serve really ten thousand people in an hour. You know that's that, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. So I I know what you mean about the the Orlando one. It's super big. The other big one I've I've been there, and I've the other one that's rather large that we we've used a lot is New Orleans. That one is a little narrower, but it's. I want to say it's like three quarters of a mile from end to end. Uh, I remember. Yeah. So sometimes you'd have one session in one end, and then like 20 minutes later, you have a session in the other. You kind of have to to truck it from from one one end to the other. So um, I've I haven't been to I've been to Atlanta, but I haven't been to the conference center there. So well, I'm, I'm really interested to see how it'll be. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to go yet, but uh, uh, hopefully I'll I'll make it out there and and check it out. Awesome. 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 Cool. So um, the next kind of big thing in the like Microsoft announcement space is um, a little bit more detail around these modern document libraries and SharePoints. I know we have a lot of uh, faithful SharePoint developers and SharePoint users that listen to the podcast. And if you caught the future of SharePoint event that we had back on May the 4th, there was a lot of announcements around the modern document libraries. And they were already tr- starting to roll out in OneDrive for Business. You started to see like a big change in those libraries. And those are going to be rolling out more full scale to commercial customers. So there's a lot of like modern things about these. Um, however, uh, the the vision is it's still going to support all of the traditional SharePoint things like content types and custom columns and metadata and things like that. Uh, But it'll have new features like being able to, you know, pin important documents to the top of your library or, you know, being able to easily move and copy documents and bring in like a link to a document from another library. So those are some of the pain points we've heard of SharePoint in the past. So, uh, right. You know, this is an interesting read. It just kind of, uh, again, emphasizes some of those changes that are coming and that are going to be starting to roll out. Uh, I'll be really curious how uh, these are accepted by the enterprise. I know that 
my my first thought when I saw this is, well, that's great for a lot of libraries, but what about that like huge team or huge library that has you know tens of thousands of items? You know, a, a thumbnail right. type of view isn't very feasible there. But um, you know, I think in this article they talk about uh, even being able to maybe go back to like. Or, or or still kind of the support of the classic library, the classic view, and and being able to still um, see things in a tabular form. So you can toggle between like thumbnails and and more of like the regular table type of view of libraries. But um, anyway, it's a it's a good post that talks this, about that. This looks a lot like uh, what OneDrive consumer looks for now at the moment, right? When you go to the you know, what your OneDrive on the consumer site it looks a lot like it look, looks a lot like this with these um, thumbnails and the and, and the the way folders look and those sorts of things. I'm, they're, they're, I think it's a very similar look and feel. Um, I think the fascinating thing for me is that they've acknowledged that people are going to take some time to transition to this and they've said that the uh, that the old library format's going to stay in for at least until 20, through 2017, through to 2017, I think is what they've said. Yep, yeah. I mean, you know, it's I like your point there about like it's starting to look like consumer. It's I will tell you as a Microsoft person, it's so fr it's it's frustrating a lot of times to, you know, having to tack on that last little bit. Like when you talk to someone about OneDrive, you're like, okay, OneDrive and OneDrive for business, or you know, talking about like these like the consumer and commercial services, and you know, hopefully people are noticing like we're doing this huge. Um, like consolidation of a lot of things, like the user experience we're trying to make the same. We're trying to get them all to have the exact same APIs. Um, even though behind the scenes, these are like like different technologies. Like, like I can guarantee you things like Skype and Skype for Business, completely different um, technology behind the scenes. I mean, like, like, like complete different type of technologies, but we're trying to make the experience the same and you know, hopefully we'll get to some day where you can kind of just say, "Hey, this is Skype," or "Hey, this is this is OneDrive," and and um, it's just implied based upon who the user is if it's like a for business or not. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is it's it's all part of that vision to try to make things consistent. Uh, so, so we're kind of getting are, there already, right? With with the auth, the converged auth stuff, the V two of, of of the auth uh, now when you when you auth against uh, a Microsoft. Login. It doesn't now ask you. It doesn't ask you whether it's a consumer or a or an organizational login or active, Azure Active Directory login. You just log in, and then from then on, it knows enough about it that it could go. The graph can go, for example, and hit the right the right uh, endpoints at the back end. You did a great session with Vittorio. Uh, I think twenty the Office Dev Show twenty six or twenty seven or something uh, on exactly that. Right, the new MSAL, the authentication libraries that that uh, he's that he's written. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all part of that master plan to bring those experiences together. I think, you know, one of the unique ways that this, this falls is if you think about like millennials or, or people that are coming out of uh, university, you know, they're, they're probably very used to that consumer experience. And if they can, as they transition into the workforce, if it's like an easy transition, because, Hey, it's like the, this is just like what I was using before. Um, Maybe even from the API side, like if they're if they're developers and in in the university they were working with our consumer services, like it's it's you know it from from end to end from like the end user experience to the developer experience. Hopefully, we're going to make that a uh, pretty consistent transition and and um, uh, you know hopefully kind of support both those services well that way. 
Absolutely. One of the things I noticed in the in the new dialogue, uh, when you, when you create a new thing in the uh, in the um, uh, in a modern document library, is you get an Excel survey as one of the options, which is uh, again taken straight over the OneDrive consumer piece. Yeah, yeah. Those those are cool. I'm I'm a big fan of yeah, the too. the surveys. So in terms of some of the community uh, contributions this week, uh, we did have – we've had a couple of new Office dev shows. So we're trying to be really consistent and do the Office dev shows weekly. Uh, so we've had uh, two that I'll, I'll point out. Uh, one uh, we did um, – the, the previous week was on debugging Office add-ins with Vorland.js. This is kind of an interesting one. If you're not familiar with Vorland.js, it's basically a – a remote debugging tool. So think about like your browser tools, the, the F12 tools in a browser. You know, those are great for like debugging your browser right in front of you. But, you know, what if you're needing to debug something that doesn't have debugger tools? Like maybe something that's running on an iPad or maybe something that's running on your phone. Uh, for those, you need to introduce something like remote debugging. And so... Vorland.js, it's so um, elegant how it works. You just you basically add one script include to your whatever HTML you're you're writing, and then just deploy. And once someone launches your HTML and that script is engaged, it'll it uses sockets behind the scenes and it just shows up on like a, a debugging interface on another device. I'm probably not doing this justice explaining it, but ultimately. This is a really great way of debugging web content from one device to another. And so where this comes really cool is Office add-ins are built using web technology. So this is a really cool way that, you know, as we roll out uh, Office add-ins to new form factors, that you can debug those. Yeah, I think it's just super cool stuff. Um, the Vorland stuff's been around for a little while. I think I first saw it uh, six months or so ago, and it's probably been around a little bit longer than that. But the, uh, I, I think I saw Giorgio show it off at, at our build tour. Uh, Giorgio Sato showed off at our build tour uh, in in Melbourne uh, a couple of weeks ago, where he got everyone in the audience to load a particular page, and then he could debug somebody's iPhone uh, straight off that straight from the stage. He could show what was going on on their on their on their phone. It was pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty neat when you go to the the and this it, Vorland's on GitHub. It's actually something that was developed in the organization that both Andrew and I are in, DX within Microsoft, and um, so it's it's an open source project. It runs on Node, and um, it's something you can just pull down, run one command line, and and it's up and running. Um, what's unique is that Vorland supports all these different plugins. And we had uh, a colleague of ours, Sebastian Pertis, out of France. He actually built a plugin specific for Office add-in. So what this means is, if you think about, like, I'm I'm sitting in front of my computer right now, and I'm going to bring up the developer tools in um, just Chrome. So if I look in the developer tools on Chrome, I have all these column or, or tabs across the top. Like I have a DOM Explorer, I have a console, I can look at sources, which is all my scripts. Um, I have a network tab where I can see like the network activity. Well, so what those plugins can do is I can add additional tabs. And so he yes. actually built this plugin to where, like if you think about all those tabs you have across the top of the, the browser uh, debugger, uh, he actually has like an office add-in tab. And when you go to that, you actually see everything that's going on with Office JS. Not only do you see it, so like I can see like if I'm in a, 
Like, let's say I'm looking at a, a piece of mail in a mail add-in. I can see all the details about the mail, like the, the subject, the sender, the recipients. Um, I can get to the body. But I could also, even within that, I can remotely execute functions. So if I look and say, okay, well, there's uh, – I'll, I'll just – one that I know off the top of my head, like – Office.context.document.getSelectedTextAsync. I can actually execute getSelectedTextAsync or setSelectedTextAsync from that remote debugger. Like, I, like that's the kind of the cool thing. Like when you talked about Giorgio at the, the build tour, he had everyone in the audience load a page. He could actually go and manipulate their, the DOM of that page remotely. He could go and call functions. I mean, it is, it's really a powerful tool. Yeah, it's very, very cool stuff, and and uh, and as you say, it, it's it's perfect for debugging those uh, those remote uh, those remote office apps or those office apps that are running on on devices that don't necessarily have the, the debug tools uh, native to their uh, to, to their browser or their browser control. Yeah, so check out that the Office Dev Show. It's like thirteen minutes, and um, you know, even even if you're not even doing much with with Office add-ins, it's it's a it's a pretty valuable tool if you want to do some debugging, um, even for like like small like pilot flights. You could you know find some ways of you know if a user is um, if a user is complaining of uh, internal tester is complaining of some sort of experience, um, it might be a, a valuable tool there to be able to see what's going on without having to be in front of their their computer. Um, another one that we did on uh, an office dev show was episode 31. This one's a little bit more niche, but it's talking about building office online integration using a WAPI interface. Uh, for those that aren't familiar with this is uh, Microsoft has this vision of if there's an office document out on the internet and you click on it, we want it to open up in an office experience. And, you know, for a lot of Software developers, this hasn't been a possibility in the past, and so in some cases, there's all these kind of third-party uh, like like plugins to maybe render an Office document that doesn't really give it the the best experience. So we launched about a year ago, a little over a year ago, something called the Cloud Storage Partner Program, where if if you're an ISV, if so, if you're a software, if you do software development and you store documents in your system, uh, you can get an agreement in place with Microsoft and be able to open those documents in Office Online. Um, it, it doesn't like redirect like the user to Office Online. It still keeps people in your web application. However, it allows it to have that full Office experience, and it's done through something called a WAPI interface or a WAPI host. Uh, so we, I, this is something that for, for partners that store documents, it's of super high interest. If you don't store documents, you probably have no interest in this. But um, for those that are interested and, and have that high interest, uh, this show kind of goes into at a high level what's involved in, in building one of those integrations. Yeah, I think this is very cool. I've got a couple of partners here in Australia, in fact, three who are doing some awesome stuff with with Wapi, and uh, I'm really excited that uh, that you've been talking about it a whole lot more. And it's becoming it, it it was really hard to get into the the cloud storage partner program to start off with, and that they're doing a much better job of of, of provisioning people uh, more rapidly now, which is very cool. So going on to some of the community contributors for the week, um, we did have some interesting. Uh, 
posts. So the first one I'll talk about here is Elio Struiff. Uh, I thought this was really brilliant. So the title of his blog is A New Way of Developing Display Templates. And uh, display templates are a SharePoint thing. It's a way of um, basically building like a repeatable visual. It, uh, It was introduced in SharePoint 2013 uh, these are basically it's a combination of HTML and JavaScript, and it's a it's something that you plug in to to search. So if I want to have a search results come back, I can have those be displayed in a display template. And uh, Elio, I guess, has done a lot of work with these display templates, and he talks about all the different ways that you can work with them. So there's there's a manual way where um, Display templates are stored in the master page gallery of, of a site, and so you can go and literally just take these HTML files and uh, just drag and drop them in there. Uh, actually, when you, an interesting note is when you drag and drop them in there, they actually generate a JavaScript file. Uh, that's actually how display templates are rendered is through a JavaScript file, so that all happens automatically. The other way he says is, okay, well, rather than just dragging and dropping them or uploading them, you can map a drive to the master page gallery and basically just work off that map drive. Um, Hmm. Then kind of the next evolution from that he talks about as well, the other option you have is you could use Visual Studio. You could actually package these as a sandbox solution uh, and be able to like package them as a WSP file, put those in your... uh, as, as a, sand, a solution inside the solutions gallery, and that's a maybe an interesting way of getting those deployed. Uh, you know, we're kind of veering off of the idea of a sandbox solution, but this is really just a declarative sandbox solution, so it's it's fine. Um, but Elio goes on further to talk about, you know, he's kind of adopted a new way of working. He's he's working a lot more out of Visual Studio and tools like Visual Studio Code. And he came up with kind of a really neat uh, approach here using Gulp and Yeoman to be able to work with display templates. And I thought this was super slick. What he did is he he created a Yeoman generator for display templates. So uh, he could go, you can go out and say, Yo, I think it's Yo display templates once you install the, the, the specific generator. So you can say yo display templates. It'll walk you through creating like a, a project, uh, a display templates project. And the really interesting thing is once you're done, it also creates a gulp file. And again, a gulp is another yeoman and gulp are these, you know, again, open source type tools that are built on Node to help do different things. We're starting to adopt those in more and more places like the SharePoint framework and working with Office add-ins. But what Gulp is, is it's basically a task management um, platform that's built on Node. And, and what you can use it for all kinds of different things, like uh, maybe uh, hosting web content. Uh, and what he's using Gulp for here is when he's ready to go and test and deploy, he can go and basically run Gulp SP Sync, and it will take all of that content that he has in his display template and upload it for him. So it's kind of managing that manual task of uploading it. And so I thought this was a really slick, I love seeing the community adopt these open source tools in creative ways with Office 365 development. So um, even though display templates are kind of a niche area, um, you could see how those tools are easily applied 
and used um, places like this. The thing I love about this, Rich, is is how repeatable it makes everything. And you don't make mistakes uploading anymore because if you do, you only make them once and you fix the script and now it's done. And you don't make the same mistake 25 times or someone else running the same, doing the same thing doesn't make a different mistake. It's it's completely repeatable. You've, that, this is one of the beautiful things about about automating all of your, your process from uh, creation of your templates all the way through to the uploading of the final product. It, it means that you can do it the same way every time, no matter what, which I really love. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it, a lot of the problems we've had, especially like this is SharePoint related, a lot of the, the root problems of SharePoint development were when we didn't have repeatable ways of doing things. So back in the 2007 days, uh, we came out with the feature framework, but we didn't have really great guidance on how to develop features. So you had people dragging and dropping files into the actual install area, the the hive of SharePoint. And like there's still partner or customers today that have like manually placed files in their deployment of a SharePoint farm. And so any anytime we can we can automate this like like Elio has come up with and it looks like uh Victor Willen was a uh, kind of a helped with this in some of the gulp tasks. Uh, I think this is a fantastic thing and hopefully we'll see this uh in other areas of of uh, Office 365 development. Absolutely, man. As you say, even if you're not into uh, into doing display templates, it's definitely worth a read just to find out some of the, the techniques that that he's talking about because it's uh, it's applicable across a wide range of uh, a wide range of technologies. Yeah, and if anything, kind of take away from this is you know tools like Yeoman and Gulp. You're just seeing more and more of this in the Microsoft space. So it might be open source type of tools, but um, I would I highly would highly encourage people to get. Uh, accustomed to those types of tools and become familiar with it because I think you'll see more and more, even if it's not something developed by Microsoft, you'll see the community like Elio's done here contribute to that. And it's things that can be a big time saver and a big, like almost on the verge of like ALM type of uh, uh, approach for how you do some of these things. So um, kind of moving on, uh, we also on the same note of search, so display templates work with search. Uh, there was a post this week or I think early last week by Michael Finson on a few things you should learn about search in SharePoint 2016. So this is talking a little bit about some of the changes, and he, he talks about kind of the application of display templates through things like promoted results and best bets and some of the, the new things you should be aware of. This isn't so much a developer-focused blog, but um, I thought it was it was interesting uh, given what Elio put together around those display templates that if you're curious about some of the, the changes that are coming around um, – some of the the things with search and SharePoint 2016. This is a, a really good one, and it does go into a little bit about uh, you know some of the things that you do around development with some of the you know different variables that you can use in like a display template or a um, like a, a query string uh, with your APIs. So I think it's it's worthwhile taking a look at as well. Very cool. Um, moving on, uh, we had an update by Andrew Connell. Uh, this is uh, basically Andrew's been kind of spearheading the 
uh, Angular directives for the Office UI fabric. So they're calling this the NG Office UI fabric. He released uh, version 0.11. So it seems like every time they're releasing a new version of the NG Office UI fabric, they're introducing a new control or as they call it, a new directive, which is kind of one of the same things. So in this one, they have a new, there's a new message bar. So they're up to, I believe he says, 30 directives. So there's 30 controls that they've wrapped into these like directives to where it's really easy to go and just place these into your application. So definitely check that out. And if you haven't, if you work in Angular, you definitely should check out the NG Office UI Fabric um, it is Absolutely. again. It's it's that Angular wrapper around the Office UI fabric, and, and they're currently in an RC phase for the Angular two bits as well, which I'm pretty excited about. Being a being a .NET guy, I love the idea of working all that all this stuff in TypeScript and and uh, and doing and doing stuff in Angular too. Absolutely, absolutely. Speaking of that. Um, there was also a post this week by Sahil Malik, who we had on the show just a couple weeks ago. Um, he's talking about using some of those uh, techniques like Angular 2 and TypeScript to be able to parse a, a, a JOT token or an access token. Uh, and not, not necessarily uh, specifically an access token. Sometimes uh, it's not quite as helpful to decode that per se. But sometimes like maybe an ID token or things like that. But, you know, what that is, if, you, if you're not familiar, like an access token that comes from Azure Active Directory, it's just a base64 encoded block of JSON data. So if you decode that, it actually has some interesting data in it, like the issuer and the permissions that it has. And so um, dealing with base64 strings, uh, it's not impossible in JavaScript, but uh, it's not the cleanest in the world. And so he's put together here a TypeScript version of how you might work with that. So he has this uh, Jot helper, and then he has a, a, a decode function and a decode token that you can use to be able to get information out of it. Yep, very, very um, cool. And I, yeah, it's a, nice, it's a nice little implementation. It's like 30 lines of code that shows you how to do it. So it's a, it's a really nice, sweet little slick thing to do. Yes. Um, yeah, very valuable, I think. So um, one of our, our regulars who's just like, I feel like his full-time job must be just to write blogs because I know that I couldn't put out near this volume even if it was my full-time job. But Waldeck Mastercars, he's, it seems like every week he's got some great content for us and he's got a couple of posts that uh, are worthwhile mentioning this week. Uh, you know, Waldeck has been really active in the SharePoint, SharePoint development space for a long, long time. And he's been one of the more uh, vocal people around the new SharePoint framework. So uh, he even did the uh, Patterns and Practices uh, webcast they did the other week around preparing for the SharePoint frameworks. And so he's got a couple of things here that are kind of related to the SharePoint framework. One is the anatomy of a modern SharePoint solution. This isn't so much specific to the SharePoint framework, but it's kind of talking about how the patterns that you want to kind of think about when you put together a SharePoint solution these days so that you're ready for the future and that you're, you can be agile in how you uh, build things. So he kind of goes through um, a lot around kind of different things to think about as you are building your solutions, like containerizing it, um, 
like kind of the approach of apps and things that um, you should consider when developing for SharePoint. The other post that he has here. This post particularly for me was really useful because it's, it gives you a great uh, sort of outline of how to how to think about developing for SharePoint and some of the things that you want to make sure that you've got, especially if you've been developing for SharePoint for a while, have, have some of the things you're going to change your your way of thinking a little bit or at least uh, adapt it to the to the newer uh, to the newer methodology. Yeah, he's really he goes like pretty broad around this, like even to things like like forms. I know that's been an area that we've um, has been almost like a uh, a quality area for us. We haven't had the best like forms strategy ever since talking about the deprecation of things like InfoPath. But he, he kind of goes across like all different areas uh, here. So it is a, a really good post. Another one that he has is uh, talking about uh, it's talking about the ALM story for the SharePoint framework, and he's like, um, is upload CDN, which interestingly is I believe it's a it's a gulp task in the new SharePoint framework. So again, here you're seeing Gulp like show up in other places. Um, is that the ALM story for the SharePoint framework? And um, so he kind of goes and talks about what that is um, as, as a way of uh, taking your assets and, and deploying it. Upload CDN is kind of a deployment mechanism and what it means and, and how you manage that. If you have one solution that you're working in and you do upload CDN, but you want to support things like uh, like a dev test and prod environment, like different environments, how you need to do that. And, and it's not the best story I would say right now. I don't know if um, we're obviously, you know, we haven't even released a preview of the SharePoint framework, but, you know, he's had early access to it and has had some preliminary findings. And hopefully articles like this might even uh, have time to uh, be, have some adjustment in, in what we end up with with the SharePoint framework. But he talks about how, like, okay, let's say nothing changes. Here's how you could go about managing that ALM story uh, with upload CDN. So um, it's a good article. And again, uh, not to sound like a broken record, but you can see how some of those like command line tasks are going to be uh, critical components as uh, we kind of move forward in Office 365 development. Sure. Now, mate, I think you've uh, you've left one off that I really enjoyed this week, which is uh, an article that, that you wrote uh, on your blog about using OneDrive and Excel uh, using, and with the Microsoft Graph. Tell us a little bit about that one. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this is something that, uh, interestingly, um, Yina Arenas, who is kind of the program manager for the Microsoft Graph, this was something that kind of she was sharing some ideas with me, and and like I I heard a little bit about it, and I was like, well, let me kind of test that out. And the idea was is you know now that we have rich APIs for working with Excel through REST APIs, so all those things you can do with Office JS and Excel, you can do almost all those same things using REST APIs now just by calling into an endpoint. And like, there's, a, there's a ton of things you can do. Like you can work with charts, you can work with all kinds of things. But at the surface, um, what she proposed is, well, what if we just like, use those as like CRUD operations against a table? And you could really use Excel as like your data source for an application. Now, this is probably something by no means is something you would do for like a big application. This is, but it, this is something that might be perfect 
for an individual's application, like, hey, I need to store information for me, or for maybe a, like a small, mid-sized team, this is a really interesting concept. And so uh, what I did is I built a, a, a little mobile application. I'm an Angular, uh, like Cordova type guy, so I used Ionic 2 and Angular 2 and TypeScript for this. So if you're interested in those things, you can check it out. But the idea for this is, is when you first log into the app, the very first thing it's going to do, it's going to say, hey, do you have, and it's, this is, um, it's an expenses application for tracking expenses. So the very first thing it's going to do is say, do you have a workbook to store data in? If not, the application itself has a little Excel template in it, and it's going to go and upload that into your uh, OneDrive. And from there, it actually uses that as its data source. So I, I actually outline in the article, I, I provide four TypeScript functions for get rows, add row, update row, and delete row. Um, and so I'm, ultimately with that, you could treat it just like a database table. Now, I know what people are thinking like, oh gosh, you know, using Excel as a database table, that gives me nightmares of you know, that happening back in the 90s or old access databases or people using SharePoint list in incorrect ways. But I think where those got kind of a, a bad reputation was when they were used in like big applications or applications that like ended up growing very large. Uh, I really intend this to be more of a pattern for individuals or small teams. And um, I think it's really unique because like it also gives you the, the ability to, if I need to, I could always open up the Excel workbook and I could make updates in there if I wanted to. So you could kind of do it from both ends. And um, I mean, to me, it's just super cool having a mobile application that provisions its own data source. I just thought that was kind of the coolest thing is like, well, I, I need to create a data source. Let's just go create it. Um, so, yeah. It is pretty much the coolest I, thing. There's a, there's a couple of things that I love about this. The first one is that the graph APIs, sorry, the, the, the Excel APIs and the graph are, are super, super cool, including being able to pull back not just the, the data in there, but, but also charts as, and, and as, bring back charts as an image. Uh, and so you can just use that as, a, as an image source in, in, and display it in whatever you're, you're using. You can, and, and then the, you can you can go and update the data through this through this call, and then call back and get the new version of the chart in in in, uh, in almost real time, which which is very very neat. Uh, that that's that's super cool. Uh, the other thing that that I love about this that I didn't know that uh, until I read your article is that um, you you actually have a a a, um, a a place, a, a special folder on your drive for every application that you register. And so you have got now got somewhere to store that uh, that workbook that it's specific to that application. That's that's super cool. You know, it's funny. I'll, I'll, I'll be completely forthcoming about this is um, I wrote this article, I believe, I don't remember if it was Monday or Tuesday of this week, and I published it. And um, interestingly, because it, this got actually a lot of activity in the Angular space. So um, Brad Green uh, of that's kind of the uh, P big PM over all of Angular at, at Google. He retweeted it, and, and Angular actually retweeted it. It got a lot of activity, and um, the OneDrive API PM a guy named Ryan Gregg. I think we've had Ryan on the show before. If not, we will in the future. Ryan sent me an email, and he was like, "Hey man, I love I love the concept you you blogged about, but I noticed that you had all this like." code to like ensure an app folder existed and ensure that like your subfolder existed and ensure the file like I had all this code to like ensure that structure and he was like 
do you realize we have we have app folders already? All you have to do is say drive slash special slash app root. So I didn't know about that uh, is what I'm telling you, Andrew. It's funny. I didn't know about that. And Ryan Gregg, the, the PM over that team, sent me this. And the cool thing is I refactored my code and had it published when I learned about it. It simplified things so much. And I had the whole thing so updated in like 30 minutes. Um, I, I, I ripped out probably like – a th- at least a third of of my ut- my little helper file by by finding out that that app root existed. So yeah, it's, it's, it's super cool. It's yeah, it is and, magic. And, mate, and you've, you've, you've totally inspired me because I've been doing a bunch of this stuff based on your rather awesome Office Dev show, by the way. I think at number twenty eight, where you talked to Yina about oh, no, where you did the where you did the graph uh, and Excel APIs. Um, uh, the Office Dev Show 28. Uh, and um, I've done the same thing, but I've, I've been doing it with, with Xamarin and Xamarin Forms. And I, I, I did a, a session at the Newcastle Coders Group uh, here in here in Australia uh, at the beginning of this month. And and, uh, uh, and Simon Yeager and I are working on uh, some code up on GitHub at the moment to, to show this stuff off in Xamarin Forms. So I um, straight after this, I'm going to jump out and, and refactor my code to, to use that, uh, that, that same technique. So I'm very excited. Yeah, it's um you know one of the things we we need to we were going to do this like right before the show just to validate it but um and so we'll 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 do a follow up next week maybe at the beginning of it but the concept of like that drive slash special slash app root and being able to work with those Excel APIs I do it here with OneDrive for business so it's really for an individual it's kind of an individual app concept but. Like we have drives in other places, so things like groups, and um, I'm pretty sure, like I have high confidence, like we don't have full like confirmation of it, but um, we we just decided to go ahead and record the show. But um, I believe that same concept works. I know that drive slash special slash app app root, you get that for groups, but like the availability of like some of the Excel APIs, I'm I'm 99% sure that they they work there too. So you know, imagine this expense application where you come in and you say, hey, I need to track expenses. And it says, hey, is this for yourself or is it like a team budget that you're tracking against? Um, and that team could be one of those Office 365 groups. So yeah, I think this is, is a really unique thing. And you know, I will tell you like like insider story with me and why I found this to be interesting is one, um, I, I even though I work for Microsoft and I get like some Azure quota, I run out of Azure quota like so early in the month. Like every month, like I'm I'm maxed out by like day ten of thirty, um, and you, so like. Yeah, and so I end up having to like turn a bunch of junk off or and and trying to mitigate getting a big bill at the end of the month. And and I actually have two different Azure subscriptions, yet I still have that problem. And so and I'm a big fan of like NoSQL solutions, being able to use things like document DB. And and so I was like, oh hey, this this might be like an alternative because I do so much mobile development and mobile development usually is like individual or small teams. I'm like, hey, this might be like my answer. Like I can start just using free it, this is free storage for Office 365 users. Right. That's that's the way I see it. Free storage. <laughs> Uh, it's awesome, man. I'm really excited about it. And uh, as you say, we'll follow up next week with some uh, with some more confirmation of that of that group stuff. And we might also just do a, a quick a quick um, tease next week of the stuff that Simon and I are doing on on Xamarin Forms with the same with the same techniques. 
Yeah, I think that'd be that'd be great. Um, I think that that like, like seeing how to do kind of like a complete solution around some of this, there were there were things that just kind of being like like fully transparent that I beat my head over that I think will help out the community. Uh, one of those is. Um, you know, this is this is client side, so you're going to have a lot easier job of this, I think, in .NET and Xamarin. But one of the things I ran into was um, when, when you look at our documentation for OneDrive for uploading files client side or uploading files, the sample that we provide is uploading a text file. I don't know many people that are like working with text files in OneDrive. Like it's usually documents or images and things like that. Well, that's binary data. It's a completely different content type and it's a different way that you work with it. And I beat my head like crazy trying to figure out how to do this client side. Like like it took like I literally spent like three days on it and I could never get it to work. Um like over and over, I was trying all these different things. Like well, how, like it's not just well, what content type do I use, but like, what format of data do you post in the body to upload a document client side? Is it a base64 encoded string of data? Is it uh, a binary array? Is it, I mean, it, I, I, I struggled with that. Interestingly, I was beating my head up against a bug in Angular 2 the whole time, is that oh, their documentation for HTTP put says that you could put binary data in the body, but in fact, it, it was like converting it to a string the whole time. And uh, so I ended up going back to like a X, XML HTTP request. But um, like, so if, if you're a client-side guy, I think that in addition to the CRUD operations with Excel, there's some interesting things in here to, to look at. And I'll be really interested as, as, like you said, Andrew, you and Simon do build similar type of applications in Xamarin because I'll, I'll be honest, like I've, I've done things in Xamarin, but just because of like my web background, I tend to gravitate towards Cordova. Um, I would imagine that we have more .NET type of listeners. And I think that they'll be really anxious to, to hear your perspective on, uh, you know, building a more comprehensive mobile application uh, with, with Xamarin and, and what your findings are with that. Very cool, man. We might leave that as a teaser for next week, and, and uh, we're, we're probably getting pretty close to time, but it's, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I know that this is this is odd times for both of us, so I think we're recording this at 9 p.m. your time, and it's uh, 5 a.m. mine. And uh, so, uh, But, hey, that's we're dedicated to getting some good content out to the community, and uh, super excited to have you on the show, Andrew, and excited about the future with you on the show. Thanks, man. Looking forward to keeping doing it for a while, a while to come. Awesome. Well, um, we'll uh, talk to everyone again next week and uh, have a great week. Well, that's all for this week. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all our podcasts, the developer program, and other amazing content. Also, make sure you follow us at Office Dev on both Twitter and Facebook. Until next week, get your code on.